Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi. I'm Rich Rosen, partner at Hydric and Struggles and member of Hydric Consulting. In today's podcast, I'm speaking to Robert Bob Motch, Executive Vice President and Business Group President of Amerisource Bergen Corporation, American drug wholesale company that provides drug distribution and related services and is number 10 on the Fortune 500. Bob, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Great. Thanks, Rich. Uh, Happy to be here and I look forward to having a good conversation with you. Bob, could you start by telling us the Amerisource Bergen journey through the COVID-19 crisis? Where was the company at the beginning of the crisis and where is it now? Yeah, happy to. Just a little context. Uh, As as you said, Amerisource Bergen is is critical within the healthcare uh, supply chain and, and we do provide daily access to pharmaceuticals for about 30% of the entire market in the U.S. And, and in some areas, for example, community oncology clinics, um, where it's actually more than 50%. So, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, we take what we do very seriously and providers and, and patients count on us in a, in a sig- significant way. So as COVID-19 uh, pandemic hit, uh, it was really important that we uh, didn't have any missteps. And, um, you know, kind of just with a, with a, a bit of a, a hindsight look, I, I can say that we've, we've done pretty well. But there are some real reasons for why that I can, uh, that I think I can share. And, and it really starts with, uh, with our purpose at Amerisource Bergen. And we're definitely a purpose-driven organization. And, and our purpose is that we're united in our responsibility to create healthier futures. So if you think about being responsible for creating healthier futures and then the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, it, it really created some clarity uh, for us in terms of what we needed to do. And immediately we knew that we needed to do two things. One was to protect our associates. Um, that's the right thing to do, obviously. We also needed to protect our associates because we needed to protect the integrity of the supply chain for pharmaceuticals and, and make sure that um, we could continue to provide the services that we do while healthcare uh, itself was being disrupted in, in many different ways. So we were able to use our purpose as, as a guide. Uh, we focused on really on our frontline workers. Uh, we focused on uh, making sure that our, our associates were safe. And we've been able to continue doing that uh, really uh, since, since mid-March when everyone that could work uh, remotely or work from home did and and those who are on the front lines of Amerisource Bergen, primarily those who are uh, in our distribution centers, uh, were able to continue doing their work. Any specific things you can talk about in terms of getting operations on online and approach to leadership? One practical uh, point, and this this was a big learning for for me personally, but taking thirteen thousand or so people who are used to working in an office environment and uh, transitioning them to a, a remote environment or, or a work-from-home environment. There's uh, uh, change management. There's certainly a, a people side to that. 
And I was confident because of our culture, I was confident that that was gonna go well. We're committed to patients and we're committed to creating a healthier future. So I knew, I knew people would be committed and engaged. What was a good surprise and a, and a good learning was that um, the technology really stood the test of a, of a rapid transition. And we've, like many companies, we've, we've been through a technology journey over the last several years and updating our systems, you know, becoming more, more digitally enabled. And uh, as an executive in, a, in any company, you know, large or small, making those types of investments, you're expecting longer term payoffs. Sometimes you don't know exactly what they'll be, but you know, you need to be state of the art. And in this case, one of the big learnings or reminders for me was that those technology investments that we made that didn't have obvious immediate short-term pay, payoff were critical as we all went to a work uh, from home environment. And again, the investments that we make in our culture uh, and our people, I, I knew that that would, that would stand up well, but the technology investments and the commitment to that uh, on an ongoing basis was really reinforced through this process. What have been some of the challenges for you as one of the key leaders at Amerisource Bergen? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge uh, that I've had you know, with the change in, in, in our working rhythm and, and working environment is really just been the connectivity to, to our associates. We do have a very strong culture and, and seeing people in the office, staying connected to them both professionally uh, and personally is, is really a part of, of what allows us to, to, drive, to drive the business forward. And many times, you know, we're able to have quick conversations in the hallway or pop into someone's office or someone pops into your office you have a five minute conversation, you know, you get to a decision and then you can, you can move on. So in the remote environment and, and, you know, I think there's universal praise, you know, out there for how, how well the, the technology has, has advanced and, you know, Zoom and Teams and, and others have certainly been an important enablers for, uh, for communication. But what, what has gotten lost and has gotten harder is the, the more informal, uh, conversations. So to the, on the solution side of that. So what I've done, uh, and again, did from, from the very beginning in March is just to make sure that I have scheduled time with, uh, with people that, you know, beyond my direct report. So certainly those are happening, whether that's virtual or on the phone or, or, or if we're in the office, but the informal conversations, the, the people that I would tend to count on for information or guidance or, or quick shared decision-making, I reached out really almost immediately and set up short video conferences or phone calls with them uh, just to make sure that we stay connected. So it's a bit more forced, a little less organic, but it was really important to keep those connections. And that's one way that, um, you know, I worked around that challenge and continue to do that today, several months into the pandemic. I know Amerisource Birkin has a strong diversity and inclusion uh, process and support. You know, as this was going on and social justice got amplified with Black Lives Matter and institutional systemic racism, how has that become part of that journey? How did that challenge the culture or how was the culture able to uh, adapt and embrace that even more fully? We talk a lot about leadership and in the pandemic, and I've talked a lot about culture uh, and certainly the systemic racism and uh, social inequities that um, have been very publicly exposed over the last several weeks are, are a big part of, of what we're focused on and, and what we're working on. So I'll, you know, I'll try to tie the two together a bit. And, and you know, I talked about our strong uh, purpose-driven culture and 
our responsibility to create healthier futures. And that includes our associates, it includes all of our stakeholders, but it also includes the communities that we work in and the communities that we serve. And, you know, it was a wake up call for a lot of, a lot of people individually, a lot of leaders individually. I'll speak, I'll speak for myself first and then, uh, you know, then for Amerisource Bergen. I have a, a, a real uh, comfort in being an ally, right? So always being an ally for, you know, our African-American colleagues. But it really got my attention that the narrative that was being communicated on social media and, and other places, that it, which is basically that being an ally is not enough, right? You, you have to be an ally, but you also have to take action. You have to do something to, to make, make things better. So that's, that's how I've personally tried to react. And, and I'm proud to say it's, it's how Amerisource Bergen has as well. So what we did is uh, very publicly within the organization, uh, Steve Collis, our uh, CEO, quickly put out a communication uh, to the organization talking about uh, how we would not tolerate racism of any kind at Amerisource Bergen, which is obvious, but also that we were committed to, to taking action. Yeah, I did a video along those same lines for the associate base. And since then, uh, we've been in active conversations, listening sessions, tactics building and strategy building along with, with our African-American uh, colleagues to deliver on the commitment that we made, which is to, to do something about racism. And uh, we haven't figured that out yet. Frankly, we don't, we don't have all the answers, but we've been through a very deliberate, open, honest process uh, where everyone has committed to, to get uncomfortable, to have uncomfortable conversations. In that way, we learn. We get the perspective of diversity, right? That, that diversity of experiences, diversity of thought to help us get to the right decisions. But I'll, I'll maybe summarize with, with two things. It was, it was really something that the events that took place really got the attention of, of our leadership team, really got the attention of, of Amerisource Bergen and we're committed um, to acting uh, for positive change um, in terms of, of racism and other you know, systemic inequities. On diversity and inclusion in general, we do have a commitment, we do have a, a process and a program, but I think it's also accelerated, forcing us to be more specific about what our goals and objectives are. And maybe I'll just, I'll close with, with an example of a conversation that I was able to, to listen to and, and participate in. And uh, this was actually back in, in February, but I was at a conference and Melody Hobson was one of the speakers, and you know, Melody Hobson is a well-known black executive. You know, in the United States, she's on on the board of you know, Starbucks and and J.P. Morgan, and and other other corporations. And uh, in the panel discussion that she was having, she was asked, "Why is it that we haven't made more progress uh, with diversity at the highest level?" You know, she had a, a simple and accurate response, from my perspective, and. And it's that diversity and inclusion is the only thing that executives get credit for by saying that we're trying, saying we're trying hard, we have a process, uh, and no other part of our business does trying count, right? You, you have to have specific goals, they have to be measurable, and you have to meet them. But unfortunately, uh, with diversity and inclusion, uh, we're still at a position where trying hard counts you're quite an agile leader in terms of what you've been able to adapt to. When you think about your career, are there any pivotal points where you began to develop that ability to be able to pivot 
and see things differently? I'm a pharmacist, so I went to I went to pharmacy school and, and got a doctor of pharmacy. And after that, I got a PhD, which was focused on on health economics and, and really the cost effectiveness of pharmaceuticals, which was my emphasis. Uh, but right after school is when I started the company that you mentioned in the introduction that Amerisource Bergen acquired uh, in 2007, which is Exenda. So, you know, in terms of leadership agility, I was uh, 27 years old at that time. So you learn how to adapt quickly or you fail, frankly. So if, if you're in a small business and you're, and you're trying to grow a business, agility is not a skill. Agility is just a fact of life. And, and as a business is growing and as, as the market is changing, you have no choice uh, but to uh, be strategically agile, to be agile in terms of your associate uh, employee, you know, development strategy, your, your, your financial strategy, all of that has to be agile and fluid. So I think that's a, that's a part of, of the very earliest parts of my career that agility is just how, you know, you know how it works. And I, and I think secondly, um, you know, that business was a consulting business. And so what we did is we, we worked with clients to, to solve problems and develop strategies and to do sophisticated analytics around the value proposition of, of pharmaceuticals in, in the marketplace. And you can't be a good consultant if, if you're not agile. You know, you've got to be able to adapt to the, to the client's needs. You've got, you've got to be able to adapt to the, to the changes throughout an engagement. And if you do that well, then you're, you're, going, to get to, uh, you're going to get to a good outcome. So, Rich, I think it's, it's uh, you know, at this point in my career, it's, it's core to, to how I operate, as you said. But I think it goes back to the very to the very beginnings and um, it has served me well throughout my career and in healthcare uh, and in pharmaceuticals, which are incredibly dynamic. That agility is, is very important right now. And you, you, you've had a, a 30 plus year career in, in the pharmaceutical uh, environment, enterprise, the whole space as you described earlier. They are center stage right now with the COVID fight. And as a positive consequence, the whole pharmaceutical industry is seeing a positive growth, as you know, in the stock market and, and a new burst of innovation. How has the public perception of the industry shifted? And what has that meant really overall, but also to Amerisource Bergen? It has really created an opportunity to remind multiple stakeholders of the amazing innovation that happens. Vaccines and, and COVID-19 treatments which are, are beginning to emerge are good examples of life-changing and life-saving treatments that come out of the pharmaceutical industry every day and, and really have for the last 50 years or so. I answer it that way, Rich, because I'm, I'm really not sure that public perception has changed. I think it's, it's helped because uh, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, the challenge that the pharmaceutical industry has is associated with with that level of innovation and to put COVID-19 aside for a minute, the tremendous innovation that comes out of the pharmaceutical industry is also associated with with a perceived and real high cost of of innovative products. And that that hasn't changed as we look forward to uh, presidential election and congressional elections. There is bipartisan support, which is driven by public demand that work needs to be done on uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals for uh, for the public in in the United States. So I think the COVID nineteen pandemic has allowed 
a new channel of the narrative. I, again, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to remind stakeholders, whether that's a consumer or a healthcare provider or a government payer or a commercial payer, of the innovation and the amazing science that, that goes on uh, within the industry. At the same time, we, we do have a very real challenge with patients being able to afford their medication. And, you know, and I'll add, add to that. And pharmaceuticals are, one, about 12% of overall healthcare costs. Uh, they've been around 10% plus or minus for decades that's not changing dramatically, even with the level of, of innovation, and, and they are the most cost-effective uh, medical intervention. The, the second piece uh, around the cost of pharmaceuticals is the patient out-of-pocket costs. And for an individual patient, and this changes depending on what kind of reimbursement or insurance that they have, but in almost every case, the out-of-pocket cost for pharmaceuticals as a percentage of the total is double what that would be for medical care. Uh, so, you know, you hear of people, you know, not being able to afford their medications, but you generally don't hear of people not being able to afford a surgery or, or something like that. And it's, it's not because surgeries are less, in fact, they're more, uh, but it's because the insurance scheme, the reimbursement uh, program covers more of medical expenses than they do of pharmaceutical expenses. So, there's a solution in that somewhere in, in making sure that there's a balance of the, of the out-of-pocket costs for pharmaceuticals as we go forward. But to your question, Rich, that's a little, you know, maybe a little off topic, but I do, I do think it's an important. And it, I think it's important in the overall, overall narrative. But certainly the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has, has been a great opportunity to remind you know, the public and other stakeholders of the innovation that occurs within the pharmaceutical industry. Maybe one last question, Bob. You know, behind all that is the complexity of the distribution and supply chain that Amerisource Bergen really you know, uh, enables and builds. How did you keep that running during the crisis? It's, it has been impacted, certainly. And, you know, I, I think it's a credit uh, to, you know, we just spent some, some time talking about the innovation within the pharmaceutical industry. And I would say the pharmaceutical distributors in general and Amerisource Bergen uh, specifically there's a layer of innovation with within a, that industry that's a part of the of the overall pharmaceutical supply chain uh, that is also really being highlighted right now. And we have very sophisticated, automated warehouses that have the ability for orders to come in in the evening and be delivered anywhere in the United States the next morning. We have systems and automation and people teams of people that were able to flex to volume increases that were nearly 50% uh, above normal in mid to late March. And you can remember in mid to late March when it was hard to find paper towels and, and other kind of household goods because people were hoarding. Uh, well, the very same thing happened in, in medical care. And so as it became clear uh, to everyone and to healthcare providers in particular that you know, this pandemic was going to have a big impact. They began buying pharmaceuticals ahead of the demand. So we had uh, significant volume increases in uh, at the end of March. And those investments and the technology and the amazing teams of people that we have uh, were able to withstand that volume. And literally, I, I would say that everyone who needed a me medication that was available got those medications through the, the distribution portion of the supply chain. 
So it's uh, uh, another example of being able to demonstrate the, the value and uh, efficiency of, of our industry, even with the spikes that we're having in, in certain parts of the country. And I would say we're going to continue to have, I, I think the healthcare system has learned that we're going to have to figure out a way to continue to provide care uh, to patients while there are spikes going on. So I think the providers, the hospitals are getting better at that. So we're seeing demand uh, more steady, even with the spikes that we're seeing now. Any, any last thoughts on looking forward? You, you know, you hit on an important theme and, and uh, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic and healthcare and access to healthcare uh, is critical. And the ability of the healthcare system to withstand demand surges, uh, you know, whether that's a pandemic or, or other, I think that's been made clear that we have to be uh, prepared and, and in, in some cases better prepared for that in the future. So as a leader in the industry and as uh, a leader in Amerisource Bergen, I'd, I'd like to just share that we're, uh, we as an industry and we at Amerisource Bergen are, are focused on doing uh, as well as we have uh, through this pandemic, but also learning from that and being even more prepared should something arise in the future. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Great. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.